You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hello? Hey, Joe, it's Chris Collin. What's going on? Oh, what's up, Chris? Oh, what are man. you doing? Driving. Right now, I'm in Idaho, driving across rural Idaho, heading to Smith Rock. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm surprised you even have cell up there, dude. Have you climbed up a Smith before? <laughs> no, I haven't. So, but I'm going to say, we're, we're getting like a little bit of climbing time in, but it's not really like a climbing trip. So I don't know. I kind of have mixed feelings. You know, it's like my first time going to Smith Rock, and it has to be a photo shoot. So I'm going to like, you know, hopefully get a little climbing time when we're not shooting. And uh, I don't know. See the, see the place for the first time, man. Yeah, you got to keep climbing. You're like a well-oiled machine now. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's like either climbing or training or I'm traveling. That's kind of like the deal now. Oh, boo-hoo. But anyway, yeah. that's, the, <laughs> that's the reason I'm calling you is I've been, uh, I wanted to talk to you about this boot camp thing because um, All right. I've, been watch, I've been hearing about it because I know, I know you guys. I know Dan. Dan, Dan, I know yeah. Sam. And so I've been hearing about it and now uh, BD's been releasing the videos and uh, right. I wanted to ask ask you a little bit about the program so uh, what did they do what did they do to you guys <laughs> what did they do to us yeah what uh, well, was the program so i mean you have to understand like we we kind of formed it by ourselves like i think sam suggested it one day to me and you know i i was a little reluctant but sam is is someone who's who has a fairly large background in training from skiing and you know he's kind of got fairly athletic background, so he's definitely trained before and trained a lot more for climbing and um, suggested we put together something uh, for BD and kind of do it as a group. Dan got involved, and BD, like JT, Jonathan Tisenga, like, jumped on. He was like, yeah, man, like, let's do this. This sounds kind of cool. We could also, you know, kind of inspire people to train and get psyched in the gym and utilize time in a different way rather than just, you know, going and climbing and now, how far did they go? Did they, like, were you guys on any sort of dietary plan or was just just sort of physical workouts? I saw I saw a yeah. Dan video that you guys were, I mean, there was, like, physical therapy for him because he was coming in with some injuries. So it seemed pretty awesome, uh-huh. thing, you know? Yeah, we had a sports psychologist. That was amazing, uh, Dr. Chris. Then we had Esther, Esther Smith, who did uh, a lot of body work and educated us on, you know, maintenance and, and ways to kind of, prolonged longevity and, and health. And then we had Neely Quinn, who was our uh, nutritionist. Definitely some of us took to certain aspects more than the others. Me, I didn't connect so much with the, with the nutrition part, uh, but I, I connected a lot to the sports psychologist part. And it was cool. It was cool to see, like, the total dynamic that we all had together. And I don't know, we, we kind of created this, this atmosphere and we created this sort of trio and maybe it was a little forced I don't know but it was definitely like a way that we could all hang out in like this this unique way like I said in the in the beginning I know you guys all personally I don't know you as well as I know Sam and Dan Dan lived lived here in Carbondale so I know him really well and uh yeah I, did, I definitely thought it was kind of funny uh the thought of like the three's company uh aspect <laughs> of you guys all living together and yeah you know I realize, like the, the the movies that are going to come out, right? That they're advertising, they're they're going to be like, uh, you know, put together in a story form. But I was right. I was just kind of wondering, like, if if you guys had hated each other, like, would yeah. they even have showed that in the video? 
you know, uh, like yeah, a big brother so, style, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was definitely, like, tumultuous relationships, man. Like, you can't, you know, have three people for three months, you know, like, living together in close corners, like, training together, eating together, doing everything, riding in the cars together. All of our little bits of time away from each other, it was like, ah, breath of fresh air. Like, right, you know, right. we had these, these spirits away from each other, but, dude, we definitely had it out. I mean, there was, like, times where I was like, I hate you, man. I cannot stand you, man. I can't believe I but at one point, someone wanted to walk out on the whole thing. So, you know, okay. it was some drama. Yeah, man. But that's what makes it, like, so much more memorable to, like, right. you know. And, of course, it's put into a story. But everything you see in the story is, is like, you know, as honest as it gets. I'm proud of him, man. Like, I, I really am. And I'm proud of what we did. So over that three months, how many fist bumps do you think you, you did? Damn, man, at least... I mean, were you like, keeping okay. track at all? Cause, uh, <laughs> no, man, I mean, like, it was constant, you know? I'm like, I'm like the real, like, fazzy, excited dude, and, you know, I'm fist bumping everybody, left and right, both hands, you know, every which way. You know, Sam, Sam's, you know, wishing, like, a tornado would blow down the gym and it, with him in it, and then you had Dan, who's just kind of, like, trying to keep everybody together and, like, <laughs> you know... Just kind of maintaining the, the, the stability. But, dude, we were all supportive of each other in, like, all accounts, man. Like, even right. in, like, the lamest moments. It was right. it was pretty cool, dude. It was like everybody would turn up when it was time. And I don't want to, like, you know, sound like a dork and be like, yeah, man, it was all just, like, positive. But, but it was, dude. Like, even, like, the shitty moments, we would connect more. <laughs> a couple other questions. So did it work? Like, other than making you want to train more, like, what happened with your climbing? I left after the training. I booked a, a, t- a ticket, booked a trip to Spain, right? And I love going to Spain. And I was eager to go to two new areas that I'd never been before. Um, the Basque Country, which is in the north of Spain, and then Andalusia, which is in you know the south. <laughs> Just to sum it up, I had probably the most successful two-month trip I've ever had in my life. And you know, it was like it wasn't like a mode of projecting either. It was just like a mode of like going to the cliff and picking like the cool route that I was excited about within my doability range. You know, like <clears throat> like AC plus something that I could do. But on most accounts, AC plus takes takes some real effort for me, man. Like I need to like have a good amount of time set aside to to do something like that. But but after this training, man, I was doing like one every other day, and having like just the most fun you know it was never like this prolonged drudgery of projecting on a trip and feeling stressed and like missing out on climbing all of these other routes that i think look great it was just like constantly spending it constantly clipping chains going on a trip it's like you just want to knock things down you know Mm -hmm. and that's what this was for me and it was at like a higher level than normal you know like looking back at it now i'm like kind of ashamed i didn't try anything harder because i know i could have done it you know and Maybe on paper that looks good, and maybe to, you know, tell the, the sponsors folk or, you know, like the media or whatever, it looks cool, you know, like, I did this, I did that, you know, look at me, I'm a big shot or whatever, but, dude, I was just having a good time, man. Because of the training, I was able to spend harder. I, I believe my enjoyment level was heightened because of that. But don't you think in the end, like, what Black Diamond really ought to do is do this program for, like... Uh, like 40 something dads, like get like yeah. 30, like 40 something dads or moms. Because I mean, you know, you guys, Sam and Dan and you, you all climb so well. Like you're at a point in your, in your climbing where like gaining a letter grade is, 
you know, this huge gain because, you know, it's so hard to totally. make gains at the level you guys are at. But imagine, you know, guys like me, for example, you know, I've been climbing like 512 for like 15 years, occasionally a 513. Just think about sure. the gains I could make, you know? I know. I'm, hey, it's, man, this is all like the ball's in your court, dude. It's just like an amount of, the amount of time and devotion and like you need to set it up. But you can yeah. do that, man. That's just a choice. You can do well, it. It's just, I'm more. I was more getting around to, to BD foot in the bill, and uh, yeah. And also this because I'm like, gonna need. I'm also gonna need some daycare coming up here. Yeah. Um, oh, any that's minute. right. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Maybe you know I'll make a suggestion okay. or like you know maybe you could write a little like letter, a little email or something. Okay. To, cool. to follow up. <laughs> but, but honestly, man, like the plan is to kind of you know encourage people to 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 train it and it doesn't really matter who you are it doesn't matter what your lifestyle is you can create a little bit of time and sometimes it's less pretty likely with a lot of people you know with a given schedule of work and family and you know your limitations we all have them everybody's got them you know it's not always fun it's it it sucks man It, it can be really uncomfortable one last question for you when are you coming on the show like for real doing a full oh, interview God. we've been talking about this for like two years We'll do it soon, man. I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit uncomfortable with these things. Like, I just feel like feel like I sound like a like a goofball, and I don't really. <laughs> I can't say I like the way I sound, man. Like, I mean, do you like the way you sound? Oh, I love it. Are you kidding me? This you is this the only thing go, that man. keeps me going. Everybody That's knows why you that. Do this. That's why you do this. <laughs> well, look, you, yeah. you, you. This is your little taster. You did okay. Yeah, um, I hope so. I you hope know, so. just. Come on back through sometime. You know, there's probably at least one or two routes you didn't do in rifle yet. Hey, man, uh, I'll be there in May. I'll see you in May, Chris. It's done. You can't hide from me in rifle, dude. You cannot hide from me. Why I are you know. scared of me, Joe? I don't know, man. I'm scared <laughs> you're going to make me look like a total bonehead. <laughs> look, I have nothing to do with that. I know, that's man. You, that's, my friend. Maybe that's the problem, man. Like, I just, like, too scared. Right on. Well, thanks a lot for doing this, Joe, and um, hopefully I livened up your amazing drive through Idaho a tiny bit. Yeah, you did. Thanks, man. Awesome. Well, um, I will see you in May. Okay, good deal, Chris. Thanks a lot, man. I'll, I'll talk to you again. All right, folks, that was nice of Joe Kinder to do that. If you want to check out those videos, and there's a lot to learn. They're pretty fun. They're short, little hits, a series of them about their training program over at blackdiamondequipment.com on the experience page. These guys are good guys, fun to watch, and, uh, you know, inspiring. Maybe I'll start training. We'll see. A lot of man meat over there on these videos, but um, the ladies are in a program similar right now, so we'll see how that turns out in the next couple months. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. We really should Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Norma at checkout for a discount on great coffee. 
and to support the Enormacast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is March, no, April 5th. I'm losing track of time, people. April 5th. 2016, about 9.15 a.m. today, doing an a.m. intro, rare moments of daylight podcasting. This is episode 102 of the Enormacast, still getting used to the three-digit episodes here. And on today's show, I have mountain biker and old, old dear friend of mine, Rebecca Rush. Why do we have a mountain biker on? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. So the big news at the podcast is, of course, the normal baby arrived. Luckily for my girl, he was not as enormous as all that. Seven pounds, eight ounces, pretty big baby for up here in the mountains. And, uh, you know, he's good, doing well. We are, uh, we are rolling with the new, the new thing, having a baby. Um, I will admit his grip strength is not as, you know, not as up to par as I'd hoped so far as hangboard sessions, you know, kind of non-existent. He's not really able to, to grasp those, uh, even the largest jugs. But, uh, you know, I think he'll, he'll probably have excellent footwork. Although, at this point, I don't even know if he can see his feet um, or even knows they really exist. But that's what's gotten his dad through. Good footwork, not having power. So we'll just see how it goes. Certainly, certainly destined to climb 517. Yeah, he'll be warming up. On your greatest achievements, Chris Sharma, just know that he's coming for you. All right. Another news, I want to remind you that Five Point Film Festival is coming up here in Carbondale. If you happen to be in town or passing through or nearby, great event. I love it. I've been with it for years. It definitely brings this little town to life and shows off all the great things about Carbondale. And there's a lot of them. I will be MC on Saturday night, the 23rd of April. Uh, I will be holding up the bottom end at the after party on Friday night. And of course, the most important thing is that there's a live podcast at Bonfire Coffee Friday morning. If you're around, it's free. Drink some coffee. Watch us put a show together. Don't know my guests. I think it's 10 a.m. Might be 9. Get there at 9. And if we're not started, just drink some more coffee. Anyway, uh, it's. I think it's 10. I think it's 9. I don't know. It's 9 or 10. It's in the morning. So, Bonfire Coffee, downtown Carbondale, easy to find. So that's all happening. Get your tickets if you're going to go to the event. The after party and the uh, podcast are free if you're around. And Rifle should be in decent shape. It seeps in the spring. So come up and climb. Fivepointfilm.org is where to get more information and find out exactly when the podcast is. I should probably look at that too. And also get tickets. The whole thing gets close to selling out in the Friday and Saturday night programs definitely sell out. So get your tickets ahead of time. Cool. Okay, I'm going to preview this interview. It's a little bit of a sideways interview for the Enormacast because Rebecca Rush is not really a climber at the moment. She was a climber. She hopes to become a climber. She's actually most famous for being a solo endurance mountain biker, perhaps perhaps the most famous one of these of all time. She's probably the highest profile athlete I've ever had on because the uh, spandex clad crowd is much bigger, I think, than the climbing crowd. So even though Tommy Caldwell is super famous and Mr. Honnold super famous, I think maybe Rebecca trumps them 
Not that it really matters. She's an old friend of mine. That's how she ended up on the show. We've talked about doing it a bunch. We actually did one, and I trashed it because it was really just two drunk people reminiscing about their past. That'll come out after my death in the uh, Lost Tapes. So you can look forward to that, hopefully later than sooner. But this interview is a little bit about the transition from climbing, what it gave her, and also hopefully her transition back into climbing because she was quite accomplished as a climber as well. If you're not familiar with Rebecca, she has uh, dominated this niche in mountain biking for several years. She's an inspiration to not only women, but I think at this point, even all of us a little bit over 40. She's in her mid-40s and still crushing, which is impressive. I think these endurance sports may lend themselves to the mindset of people who are uh, who've been around a little while, seen a few things, suffered through a few things. Suffering isn't such a big deal when life has been crushing you for a few decades, I think. Just look at the big mountaineers. A lot of those guys are older as well. So anyway, hopefully you enjoy this kind of angle that I'm doing here at the Normacast. Just kind of presented itself. I don't necessarily plan to do a lot of this, but you know, if we can find some climbing angle, we can do it. If Kelly Slater's ever once touched an artificial climbing wall, I'll have him on the show, Kelly. If you're available, come on the show. Over the years, friends and family have said to me, you know, Chris, there's more to life than climbing. Well, needless to say, I don't talk to those people anymore. I miss you, Mom. But it appears Sportiva believes this too. Besides making the best climbing shoes out there, they make stuff for the long approach to nowhere, known as trail running and hiking. Do you like to run or walk aimlessly? Then check out the Super Light Helios 2 Mountain Runner or the Trango TRKGTX. Apparently one acronym was not enough for these mighty boots. And frankly, though they're sold as trail boots, they look technical enough that Bonatti himself would have given his last cannoli for a pair back in the day. So check out all the other stuff Sportiva has besides fantastic climbing shoes at Sportiva.com or your nearest high-end outdoor retailer. It turns out they're even into skiing, if you can believe that. Tap the talk? Yep. How's it going? Sound good? Six, right. seven seconds we've been doing this now. Okay. It's a long time. You're talking really loud. Am I? Okay. How yeah, about that? Is that better? That's more like okay. what you're talking. Um, here. Oh, cheers. Okay. We're starting. We're actually yeah. doing this. Yeah, we're doing it. Okay. <laughs> what have you been doing for the last year? Uh, let's see. Um... I started out the year with probably the biggest ride of my life. I went and took a trip to Southeast Asia to ride in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. And, and it really, I, I race for, you know, I'm super competitive person. And I, I like have to race people at the supermarket sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we argued on the We haven't seen each other in months and we instantly got arguing on the way over here. Well, that's just you. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, anyway, like to stir the pot. But yeah, I did a big, essentially a big expedition bike ride, um, 2,000 kilometers, spent a month over there and really interacted with, um, you know, people who live there and, and kind of just did a big exploration on the bike. And it was a really, a really interesting evolution for me as a, as an athlete and a cyclist in that there was, there was a start and a finish, essentially a start and finish point and places in between that I wanted to visit. Um, but really it was kind of just kind of a big adventure. It reminded me a lot of, you know, some of the international climbing trips and stuff I've done and where there isn't really a huge agenda and each day is do whatever mileage and, 
it was actually a really cool trip, a really personal trip for me, but also really sparked the kind of lit the spark again for my adventurous spirit that I've always had from camping in the backyard as a kid to rock climbing and doing big walls with you. Like I like to explore and not necessarily know what is around the next corner. And I think this trip really reminded me of that, that I wanted to get back to that kind of adventure. So, so the rest of the year has been a lot of, uh, a lot of that kind of changing my cycling a little bit and changing what I've been doing. I mean, I'm still, I teach women's clinics. I have my own cycling event in Idaho. I'm helping open snow biking park, fat biking park, which is really fun. Um, but for my own personal goals that are not necessarily career goals, I really just want to explore on the bike. And I think a lot about, you know, the time we spent climbing walls to me, these sort of bike expeditions are essentially big wall climbing where, but the route is flat horizontal instead of vertical. And, and so, yeah, I'm kind of transitioning, which is really cool. I think I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a little bit of an evolution as an athlete. I've been an athlete 20 years. I was thinking back, this is my like 20th outdoor retailer show or something. I don't know. I've been coming for like 20 years and thinking back to all the time, what's happened over that from being a rock climber, being an adventure racer, a mountain biker. And, and it's kind of in a way coming full circle in that the cycling I want to do involves maps and foreign countries and kind of exploring and into the unknown a little bit. So now are you, are you like for sure you're able to, you know, sustain it without the competitive part of it? No, you are this no for sure not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, so then the other big ride. Because I, I mean, I, I sort of like think about my own experience with hiking and backpacking. Like that's what I started as. As in terms of outdoor adventure, I was a backpacker. Like, you know, I dreamed of the PCT and all that stuff growing up where, where you grew up as well in the suburbs of Chicago, you know, that was the dream. And then like that just went out the window when I, when I became a rock climber, cause I needed, like, then I had these goals and now it's like, you know, I call hiking the long approach to nowhere. You've like, always said that to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <So>. I know. <laughs> Well, here's the difference with hiking versus cycling and climbing, rock climbing, adventure climbing, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is that um, there is kind of the woohoo factor. There is the excitement factor with cycling that I don't know that you get when you're walking two miles an hour, three miles an hour, you know, with a huge load on your back. Sure. And it's so a different kind of It's totally different. Thing, yeah. And I mean, the kind of cycling that I'm really interested in right now is kind of like... Um, you know, extreme alpine climbing where you're going light and fast and you're carrying everything with you. They essentially call it bike packing, you know, which, you know, maybe it's the bike approach to nowhere. Um, but for me, it's, it's exploration and, and yeah, you're planning your route. You're, you're carrying everything on your back, on your bike. So it is this sort of extreme alpinism kind of, I mean, I lay my gear out. I count out how many gels I'm going to take. I mean, the, the same kind of planning that I would take climbing a wall really, but you, you can't, haul a bag behind you you're you're putting it on your bike or on your back right well i'm just gonna kind of come clean we're we're talking about your trip to to vietnam and uh we're we can't give like a ton of details because it's going to be a movie we want to keep some excitement about that so if you if i cross over there like into that zone but you do you we're pedaling with a partner yeah, I went there with my husband. Now it's weird to say husband, but yeah, um, my husband Greg, my, husband. my hubby. <laughs> yeah, I went there with my husband and uh, was partnered up with a Vietnamese cyclist okay. teammate who I didn't know, a total stranger. And um, 
yeah, we just kind of all went on this huge journey together and, and, and there is a story that will be told when it's, when it's ready to be told. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest, it's taken me, it's been a year, almost a year since the trip and, uh, I'm still processing it. I'm still writing stuff down. I'm still meeting people and thinking about people and, you know, memories are surfacing. So it's actually has been a really, it, the journey's not over yet. And mm-hmm. I, and I get to go back to that part of the world, um, next month as well. So it'll be a continuing story. And right. yeah, when it's ready to be told, it'll be told. But for me, what's been really cool with that is it's just kind of shown me the places I can go with two wheels mm-hmm. versus walking is really slow. Like you said, and on a bike, you can just travel and see the world and go places where there's no roads right. and you're off the beaten path. You're not necessarily a tourist when you're traveling that way. So let me kind of ask you this. You're famous, uh, or one of the, the many things you're famous for, but I mean, most famous for these solo, uh, bike mountain bike, uh, races, mm-hmm. whether they're the huge ones, you, you've won Leadville four times. Uh, that's a hundred mile or 106 miles. Is that what I kept reading? Or 103? Three. 103, 103 miles. Yep. 103 miles. You, that's, you know, you do these 24 hour lap races where you just go and go and go. And they're solo races in the sense that you are on your own in terms of, of racing, but it's a group effort. And in, in your book, uh, what's your book called? Rush to Glory. Rush to Glory. <laughs> Get it? Uh, like my last yeah, name? <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Um, like the gold rush. Exactly. Yeah, that's your, your one of your bike things up in Idaho, right? Mm-hmm. Nice. It's nice to have a name like that. It is good. It helps people yeah. to pronounce it more correctly, too, mm-hmm. when I when I use it in a sentence. Yeah, because it's got that extra C in there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so you, you're, but you're, it's always a team effort and you're like, you never, uh, you know, miss a chance to talk about that in these, in these races in your book your mechanics and all these support that you get. So could you ever see yourself like, you know, doing like a peace out? um, I'll see you in a few days all by myself kind of trip coming up in the future, like one of these expeditions, but I'm, I'm out of here, you know, me and me and my GoPro or maybe me and just me. Yeah. And, and that's really where I'm going. The, the Asia trip kind of extended into the, this, Last year, I did basically two of the biggest rides of my life, the Asia trip. And then the second one that I did towards the end of the year was um, a solo event in Idaho um, called Smoke and Fire. And and I just kind of went and did it. It's a totally self-support. There's no entry fee. There's no there's a, a, a bunch of people start together at the same time. There's a GPS route that you load in and it, and it's it was 444 miles. Took me 44 hours and 44 minutes. <laughs> um and yeah, I just went alone and you, you don't see anybody after the first half hour. And, you know, there, I think there were 30, 40 people who did it, but I didn't really see any of them. And to me, that was kind of the ultimate experience because, yeah, you're alone in your thoughts, you're alone in your head, you're making decisions, you know, where to get water, where to eat, where to sleep, if you're going to sleep, when the, a restaurant opens that you might be able to get to. And what was cool about that, that was all in my backyard. It was all in Idaho and I've lived there probably 13 years now. And I got to see a whole bunch of stuff that I've never seen right outside my back door. But those races are, it's, it's, it, they're totally self-support. You're not allowed to take help. You're not allowed to sort of, you're on your own. And if your bike breaks, if you get lost or any of those things, you, you just kind of deal with it yourself. And I, I kind of love that. So I, I see a lot more of that in my future. I have some things lined up for next year that'll be, again, along most, more of those exploratory lines. And, you know, Leadville is awesome and the, like the super 
fast bike racing was something very interesting for me to like how much can I eke out of the power meter and the training and like really specific training with a coach and can I have five more watts you know pushed into the pedals and all that kind of really focused training is super fun and you know I went and did Leadville a bunch of times and won it a bunch of times and you know won 24-hour worlds a bunch of times but I know now I could go back to Leadville. I know every inch of that course. I know exactly the time splits I should be at power line, at pipeline, at, you know, exactly what I'm going to eat. And so I have that dial. And so then now there's a part of me that's like, okay, I don't want to know what's around the next corner. And it goes back to me being a kid and exploring in the backyard or, or taking a different route to school because I didn't want to do the same thing. Uh-huh. And I think that's all the changes, everything I've done, all the different sports. I mean, that's the reason I've been an athlete for my whole life and have a such a long career, I think, is because I've changed. I've evolved and I haven't done the same thing over and over. I mean, if I was a swimmer and like I just stared at the black line on the bottom of a pool for 25 years, I don't think I could do that. And you did the Cocapelli was like an unsupported thing too, right? Yeah, yeah. that was sweet. Because that's like a rule. Among the, did they did they bust your chops for having the camera crew there? No, they, they being didn't, yeah. they, they being the the internet and the. There was one guy who put a little <laughs> blog out and it was like, you know, she's really spoiling, you know, the the solitude of of bike packing and this and that because the film crew met me, you know, at a few places along the trail. But, but they weren't allowed to talk to you or anything. They didn't talk to me. They didn't give me directions. They didn't give me food. And the ride was thirteen and a half hours. I probably saw them for, and the, the video they made was three and a half minutes. So, you know, and we had to shoot the second day to recreate some stuff. Sure. So I really only saw them, you know, whizzing by at about maybe 60 seconds for the whole entire ride. So, so yeah, there were naysayers. It's like, like no, you said, if somebody's soloing on a wall and somebody takes your picture, are you really alone or right. are you not alone? But no. I'll tell you on Cocapelli, like when I broke my finger, yeah, you broke your finger. I my to lights ask you went that. out. Nobody was around for that. I was just yelling into the darkness myself like, no. And, uh, you know, nobody heard. Right. <laughs> nobody came to help me. Nobody said, oh, it's going to be okay. Let me take a picture of your finger. Right. So. Did you take a picture of it? No, oh. I wish I had. Because <laughs> it sounded it gross. Rad. At the end, I took, uh, there was a picture at the end when I was in the emergency room. Because I was like, wow, look, you can see the tendons. And whoa, that's really trippy. Mm. And then I passed out. Right. Yeah. Oh. Well, anyway, so I want to, we got to talk a little bit about climbing at one <laughs> okay. point. But honestly, like, you know, the climbing, we, when we met, you were a climber. That's how we met. Um, I was your boss, remember? Yes, well, boss. not quite, actually. You you were one of the first people who I was out on a climbing trip in Estes Park. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, of course I remember um, Okay. <laughs> when we met uh, with my girlfriend, Donna, and we uh-huh. were like liberated, you know, going, you know, we're going on a climbing trip by ourselves, you know, and it was pretty cool. Um, but we didn't know a whole lot and Donna didn't hardly know anything. So I was kind of the lead and pretty insecure about everything. And then we met you guys um, through Jack Gorey, our friend from Chicago. Well, it was more, uh, I'll have to, I want to tell that yeah, story. Okay. Because we were in the guide shack and Jack Gorby, uh, he was old guide, like kind of um, basically the guide school, Colorado Mountain School and Estes Park were, you know, a bunch of got younger guys that considered themselves like hotshot climbers, even though in retrospect, we, we all weren't because frankly guides usually aren't, but 
we all thought we were super cool and like rate partied all the time and like that classic sort of lifestyle up in a mountain town. And then there was an older echelon of guides, including Mike Caldwell, Tommy's dad, and uh, this guy, Jack Gorby. And he was like, I mean, he must have already been 60. I think so. I mean, he's full gray 50s, hair. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, you know, wearing sort of the, the Kletterin cap, whatever those like little German like climbing caps and, you know, more of that sort of breed, you know, climb... Five eight on a good day if he was like really feeling fit and uh and so he comes we're all in the guide shack this classic like storied little building john it was Backer, a hellhole yeah in there. john Backer disgusting. had supposedly lived there you know all these like michael covington had supposedly lived there anyway we're in there debauching ourselves as usual probably and uh in bursts jack and he's just like hey you guys i mean he wouldn't have said you guys but he's like i got two women in the car like you guys gotta come out and meet him <laughs> and of course those guys were just like what, what? there's girls here there's girls at yeah, the show. So we came we came out and met you or you guys came in i can't remember but i just we remember that we got two disgusting. girls in the car <laughs> it was i walked in kind of like can we sit outside on the picnic bench instead? It was pretty gross. A bunch of single beds and dirty guys. I remember you like were showing off the Fry Daddy machine. Yeah, we had our Fry Daddy. You're like wrong. you can fry anything in here. And I was like, wow. But we were enamored because we were like, these are real Colorado rock climbers. We come from Chicago, and right. we're like, oh, these this is the real deal. Like these are hardcore dudes. And uh, but we did want to stay outside because it. It stank. Yeah, there. it was nasty in it there. It was nasty. And actually, the funny thing is, is compared to a lot of the people who lived there, over at least my tenor there, I actually kept a pretty tight ship in there. I was like known to actually clean up now and again and like try to clear the mouse poop off the table and things like that. I could see that. And I occasionally would clean the fry daddy yeah. and get some new oil. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, we didn't have a meal there. The key um, thing about the fry daddy, though, is that you can't really have like... Uh, you know, get E. coli or anything from because everything gets killed. Like That's it true. kills everything. Yeah. So that was kind of maybe the essential part of the Fry Daddy. But uh, yeah, we had some good years up there. And I always thought about how what you guys felt like meeting these guys. Um, I realized later was a lot of what we we are the the school was kind of selling. You know, because we got a lot of Midwest people because if you live in Colorado, you, you a lot of times, not always, but you can find someone to learn how to climb from. But so we got these people showing up and I think a lot of them were just like they wanted to buy into they wanted their guide to be like that. You know, no, like I was this guy in. that was just like, you know, man of the mountains and, and like, I mean, honestly, we used to joke because there was a picnic table out front that it would be funny one time like. In the morning when the clients would show up, you know, they'd sign them in and walk them out. And then we'd all be like pretending to be passed out on the picnic table with all the bottles and beer cans. That was real. I don't think we ever passed out out there, but we used to just power through alcohol out there. Just be like, okay, you see the one guy on the left there? Yeah. Just go. That's going to be your guide today. Just just quietly tap him on the shoulder and don't try not to disturb him. You know, just like, oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm ready. ready. I'm let's ready. Go. Let's, let me let's grab go. my pack, you know. So anyhow, so there you were. You guys showed up. Well, what you were selling, I mean, it was true. We soaked it in and, you know, thankfully I didn't have to pay for a guide, but um, Jack suggested, oh, yeah, maybe Chris can take you up something, you know, a little bit bigger because, you know. We were just climbing little stuff, and we'd come from Chicago. We'd climb at Devil's Lake, like little tiny things. And I think you kind of—I don't know if you were just like, oh, "All right, I'll take this girl up something," but um, you agreed to or offered to take me up Notch Top. Mm-hmm. 
And I'd never done like You know how much free guiding we did for women Oh okay well (laughs) I was like man he's gonna take me up there Okay and and I remember asking kind of Jack Well is this guy safe like does he know how to tie A knot does like you know Am I gonna be okay alone With this person and and it turned out to be Awesome I mean we got up super early Hiked way in and and for me that was It may have not been for you but it was Really a life changing kind of adventure experience for someone from Chicago. You know, I went to school in Illinois and yeah, I did some outdoor sports there, but not like in the mountains of Colorado and getting up before dark or before the sunrise. And it was a huge, I left that trip one, like totally in awe of you and the guys Uh that were there. Well, and it helped that you played guitar and you sang. And I remember you (laughs) sat on that same picnic bench and sang Sweet Jane to me. And Uh I just... Don and I got in the car and I was just like, whoa, so that's what a real man is about, huh? And then I got to know you. Right. You know? <laughs> it was all for show. It was all part of the Disney experience of guiding. <laughs> but it, it did really like spark me like, okay, I'm going to go back to Chicago. I really want more of that. I want mm-hmm. more of that. Mm-hmm. And obviously I didn't continue to live in Chicago and moved out to California and just felt I needed the world was bigger. I needed to I needed to get out of the Midwest and and climbing was really what took me there. Well, I remember myself um you know I didn't climb before I got to Colorado, but just in my evolution there was a moment where also like we're going to climb something big and not even big big like, you know, what the notch tops like five or six pitches something like that. That was massive right, but for me. T- but not just to go do that, but to realize that there's a place you get to where it's pretty casual, you know, just like, oh, yeah, sure. And I just a couple of years in remember meeting that type of climber and, and making that mental shift of like, you know, because to go climb in the park for me when I was at Colorado State, when I was learning to climb, you know, that was like to go do Hallett's or whatever, 5'7", the, the one that fell off uh it was like a huge deal that we had just like freaked out about. And then you finally realize that it's not too long to where, oh, that's, you know, oh, yeah, let's go do it. You know, like, and I'm sure I don't remember specifically and it, and it helped if you were some dude, I definitely wouldn't have gone and climbed notched up with you for nothing. But I'm sure I was just like, yeah, I got a day off. Let's go do it. You know? Yeah. You were casual yeah. and I was freaking out. I yeah. couldn't sleep the night before. I was like, what do I wear? What do I bring? What do I do? You know, I don't want to embarrass myself or do something wrong in front of this climbing guide. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I would have been pissed. I know. Yeah, I was, totally. I was totally trying to play up the best game. Like I knew yeah. what I was doing. Yeah. You, I thought you, I didn't know you were such a Gumby at that point, actually. <laughs> That's good. I'm yeah, hiding no, it. No, you did it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but you were an athlete, so you had that bearing anyway. Competitive yeah, spirit. Competitive I wasn't going to let yeah. go. So, well, um, we ended up in California together after that and uh, together, together mm. for a little while there. And a uh, secret relationship. Is it a secret? Remember? It was. Oh, yeah, it was then. Because <laughs> you, you worked for me. I was your boss. So we pretended like nobody knew. And yeah, you, everybody knew. you did. You yeah. insisted on that. And everybody knew. It was just ridiculous. Anyway, I, that, that's, that makes me mad. Not just even remembering that. <laughs> Do you remember that 510 climbing ad? Where, what, where, where you're doing, doing the pull-ups? Pull up and, yeah. uh, and it said I was single yeah. in the ad. Yeah. And you got really pissed about it. I was it. like, yeah, no, it's funny. Because it was all part, yeah, like 
rad and single or whatever, you know, can't have this. I think it said single and enjoys it. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's not really true. But that was the thing is you did. You enjoyed that anyway. Because then you could still be like the girl around the gym. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. See, now it's all Uh coming back to me. We're going to have to take a break. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyhow. My beer's empty. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm calmed down now. Let's move on. I know I, I upset you. I'm sorry. That's it was all right. A touchy subject. I wanted actually to. I mean, when we met, you were a climber. You weren't a mountain biker. You weren't any of these things. You became an adventure racer. You were like really heavy into that for a decade when that was popular. Um, you were an outrigger canoe racer. Mm-hmm. That was that was uh, that actually started while I was still in California. There was then there was mountain biking. What else am I missing? You paddled down See, some rivers. I swam the Grand Canyon on a boogie board. Yeah. essentially, uh, that was one no, of my biggest. No, it was a flotation device. Yeah, or a, a, a watercraft, a riverboard. Right. Yes. Um, Let's see, outrigger canoe rate. We said that. Uh, I was on the U.S. Women's Whitewater Rafting mm-hmm, Team mm-hmm. for a little stint. Uh, cross-country skier, runner was where it all started in high school. So, yeah, I've done a, a ton of different sports. Right. So, if you were to put a little graph out, mm-hmm. you know, we'd have this, like, upward motion of climbing after college. And then those other things would start and we'd see this little little dribble off of the climbing after oh, a while. Really sad, right? Isn't it? Which is kind of why we're here because yeah. you were a climber. And actually No, but I am. I would say I am a climber and that's really important to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's people always ask me, you know, what's your first love or what what's the sport? You've done so many sports and like without even hesitation it's always climbing. Okay. It's always the one that I, you know, I won't sell my gear. It's all still there. It's like, it's Does probably it really Jay old. Rat on it or anything? Yeah. <laughs> Some of it might. I remember I used to make funnier old crappy gear in Colorado and now I'm that person, but no, I still like, I, I believe I'll always come back to that and it's, it's kind of there waiting for me. Um, and maybe that's kind of how we started out with that. This, the things that climbing offers the, this sort of exploration and adventure and community that is something that drew me into all those other sports and all those other sports in a way were, were tangents and, you know, opportunities to extend a career and, and do some really cool stuff. But I, I always feel like climbing will always be there and it'll always be something I want to go back to. When was the last time, like, um, cause I mean, we, you and I hung out in Indian Creek. Shit. When was that? Mm-hmm. When we put up all those roots on, uh, it was on the wall. I think that was the last time. It was. We made a plaque there right. for a friend of mine. Um, yeah, so it must have been about a year after that. Yeah, it was the year after where I was actually, and that was really interesting. Uh, you know, when, when Nigel died adventure racing, that was a big impact for me and kind of the end of that sport for mm-hmm. me in that kind of sitting there going, you know, this doesn't feel right anymore. And it was interesting that I went on that climb. I was really hurting and, you know, didn't know what I was going to do with my life and kind of that was a healing trip for me and climbing was a way to kind of, you know, 
think about why I'm on this earth and why I do sports. And I mean, it was a really heavy time. And, and you kind of, I mean, spent that time with me. I think, I don't think I climbed much. I just belayed you on a whole bunch of projects you were putting up, but just kind of being around rock and sitting there and hanging out, that was super important. And that's a lot of the part of it that I'll never lose. I'll always want to go sleep in the dirt and look up at the rocks. And even just recently, I did a bike photo shoot in Moab and you know, I'm sitting there staring up at the cliffs while the cyclists are, are looking down at the trail. And I mean, my eyes are always drawn up to be like, oh, I wonder if I could climb that. And you're looking at a crack. And so that's a part of me that I know isn't dead, which is exciting. It just because of my job is my sport right now. Right. I can't always squeeze in. I can't squeeze in the time to go kayaking or go rock climbing or, you know, because climbing takes a lot of commitment and time. Right. You, you know, I don't have a sport crag right near where I live. So it's right now it doesn't fit, but that doesn't mean I don't want to do it. Well, you're like, uh, I mean, you're a full on business. I am. I you have, I have a business. You have two assistants. I have a business manager. Right, a business I call manager. Her. I like to say not, I don't call her an assistant. Colleen. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we have a mini Colleen here too. Um, but no, I, I, I built a business, which is crazy around following sports that I've loved and being able to piece it together. And now, yeah, I have a full-time employee. I'm going to hire another one. It's, it's bizarre, but it also means I have to commit to the things where, where I can earn a living, but it doesn't mean I won't want to do the recreational. Well, I'm wondering, I was kind of getting to this is, are you still racing? Yes, I am still racing. Uh, last year, um, I won my seventh world championship. At 40, what What am I, 46 or 7? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I still won a world champs. What are you, 46 or 47? I can't remember. <laughs> I think I'm 47. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we're talking about uh, this solo. This was a gravel uh, gravel uh, road race. Okay. Yeah. All right. It was 130-something miles. Right. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not dead yet. I'm still competitive. Well, the and, reason I'm asking yeah, about that, asking? Is that is that because it seems like the real problem is all the training. The training takes a lot of time. Yeah, and like, you know, you it's probably really hard to be like, well, I'm going to go on a climbing trip for a couple few weeks. Like, you It can't, is. I'd you be can't blowing take, off my job. Yeah, yeah, you can't take, you know, you're not like a biker who's can just like, okay, well, I'm not on my bike. I can go climbing. It's like I'm. you're kind of, if you're training and you're trying to be competitive, you're not able to just fuck off and go climbing. Right. The cycling's not a hobby. Right. I mean, I'm definitely trying to combine passion with being able to make a living um, and it's working, but it's, it also means there's days when it's raining outside and I have to go train. Right. You know, before I came to OR yesterday, I had to like sit on the indoor trainer on, on my bike and do intervals in front of the television and, you know, knock those out at six in the morning so that I could drive to Salt Lake and be here for work. So right. it is like any job is a commitment, but it also means I get to go to Vietnam. I get to go to all these places. I'm going to Kilimanjaro next month to hike up and bike down. Okay. Which that would be pretty fun. And, yeah. And I, the training, the day-to-day training is hard and mundane and like a super massive commitment to especially competing against people who are 25 years old and, you know, to maintain that level of fitness is super hard but that's why i like to pick all these trips because then the trips and the races and all that they become the training in themselves right my coach dean he's like if you stay ready you don't have to get ready and so that's 
maybe why I keep signing up for stuff and I keep filling the calendar because one, I want to see the world and, and travel and do cool things, but I also want to not become a fat slob and, uh, you know, want to stay ready for opportunities like this Kilimanjaro thing. I just got invited two weeks ago and I can say yes to it because I have the time in my schedule and, and I can get fit enough in time to go do it. And now I just have to figure out what shoes to wear and how to be at 19,000 feet. Right. But that'll be, I mean, it's walking, but it's, it's climbing in a way. I feel in a little People bit of a People say they climbed Kilimanjaro. I know. I'm going to, yeah, a climb. <laughs> I can lay it on the ground in terms and put of my that mountain. fingers into right. the dirt. Right. <laughs> but, well, I guess I'm, I'm going to, I'm yeah, going to go back. I'm not getting at anything. Okay. Um, I'm going to go, I want to go back to your climbing career. Mm-hmm. Because you worked in a gym. You and I worked in Costa Mesa Recreation. Excuse me. I managed and, you managed co-owned, and co-owned a rock climbing gym. Rock climbing gym. And then we, you and I started, <laughs> along with our good friend Bruce, started. Essentially, we were the first essential crew up there. Um, you were essential crew. And we, <laughs> and we, it was that little dig on Bruce. <laughs> well, you cleaned the toilets. Bruce, Bruce was like the greeter, like the, he was like the, the personality, front the front. Yeah. Just like, oh yeah, this route's awesome. You should try that. And then Chris is, and I were back there cleaning Toiling. the toilets. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, um, you know, in that climbing, that was the first gym in LA. Um, I'm sure there's like probably tens of gyms, if not, you know, all over the place up there. That was the first one. Um, it's still there. Costa Mesa in LA, they're still there. They're still, still operating. Yeah. They're like, it's it's actually really cool to go back there because um, Rock Creation in LA is just down the street from Red Bull North America headquarters. Uh-huh. So I actually go there a lot and I pop my head in Rock Creation and it like, it's still, it makes me really proud mm-hmm. that it's actually a viable business and it's going well. And now, of course, there's climbing gyms in every school, but this mm-hmm. was really some of the first kind of cutting edge we were just kind of making it up yeah and it became a bit of a focal point for the la climbing scene Mm -hmm. which for a a massive massive city um is was really kind of small like you sort of did feel like you knew most of the climbers who climbed out at j tree regularly or climbed at takits in the summer regularly or made their trips to, to yosemite um and i think partially based on that climbing gym was how I got to know those people because I was only there for, I don't know, a year and a half at the most. It was definitely a gathering place. I mean, John Long came and hang, hung out there and like, you know, all the people that you sort of read about in the the magazines who, who started, you know, climbing, uh, you know, at the areas in, in L.A., they all came and hung out and checked it out. And, and then, yeah, on the weekends, you'd see all those same people out there, right, which was really right. cool. So with your climbing career, you were actually kind of interesting because – to me, because you were a really good climber. No, uh, I wasn't. I well, never was. See, that's that's what I I'm about sucked. to get to. I know, <laughs> but you you didn't suck, and you. I thought I sucked. I know. Well, that's my point, and and you know, I I think I've discussed this with you before, but you know, it, it had everything in my mind to do with with your reference group, is that you were amongst these you know the best climbers around, and at that point. You know, at that gym and, and in your life, this whole and because I was around kind of this whole big wall thing was like it was raging. Right. The big wall kind of resurgence of the 90s. And, you know, that was kind of the essential thing. And there was like Kevin Thole, He was there, you know, like all those people that were totally. This oh, is man. an awesome studio. I know, they're just like <laughs> you see that bottle sticking on that I dude's did. backpack. It's totally awesome. Uh, yeah, we're not in the nicest part of town. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So you have this reference group, these people. And, um, and I think that's kind of like partially your competitive nature. Um, wanted to be sort of a, the best, I think, or you wanted to be thought of that way. But I think that was like a really hard thing for you to be because you thought you sucked. Everybody else thought you were rad. Ah, see, that's crazy. Yeah, no, I didn't think that. I mean, yeah, the reference group is, you know, the people that are coming in there are elite climbers. I mean, Robin Erbisfeld came and did a clinic, you know, at Rock Creation. And, you know, the people that came there, John Backer came and hung out and Kevin Thaw and you and the people who climbed there, Dale Bard is right. like names you read about in the magazines and... Then I'm like, yeah, really trying hard on some 510 in the gym going, oh, you know. So, so yeah, I mean, all my life I've been super hard on myself. Right. And, you know, maybe more pessimistic. I don't know if it's realistic or pessimistic. Yeah, that's um, right. Isn't that the, the thing? Yeah. But, but yeah, the reference group was a whole bunch of really, really rad people who were in the magazines and, you know, five knew all the 510, you know, climbers and all those people. And yeah. And then here I am, this girl who came from Chicago and got a job, you know, and pretended to be a climbing guide. And I always felt like I was a little bit of a forest and somebody was going to soon figure me out that <laughs> like, look, she didn't really know how to do any of this stuff. Um, and that's partially why I did, you know, when I went and soloed a few walls and went and took Donna climbing and like took girlfriends climbing was to actually, you know, to a little bit, not to get out from under the shadow of you or people who are better than me, but to actually prove to myself that like, look, you don't need some guy, you know, you know, telling you or belaying you or going up the route first. And that, that was kind of a big deal for me to do those solos so that I could actually try to, um, maybe convince myself that I wasn't such a bad climber. I don't know. It's a hard, hard sport. And there's always someone better. There's always a harder route. There's always, you know, a, a numbers chasing game. And especially being, you know, managing managing a gym and being a climbing guide. And, you know, there was a level of expectation. And now I feel like returning to it, I would be totally happy, like, climbing a five seven and but but then i don't I was, know if i, I was would. about to ask uh, you yeah. that actually earlier was like <laughs> i could hope you so. come back and you know but the thing is is that is that you could come back honestly you could come back and, and in no time be at least where you were because things have changed they've gotten easier the grades are softer no what are you saying the vision is different about what's easy and what's hard Hmm. And and my vision or the vision of climbing? It would be what your you vision because it's the vision of climbing. Yeah. Because honestly, in that that it sounds like hokey, but it's it's the it really is the difference as to why. I mean, in a lot of ways, those roots are the same. The five tens that were hard back then, they're the same route. But you just you're in a community now where you 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 approach these things like with this whole different mental attitude it's just a matter of vision i think it's called aging chris no it's <laughs> i think not. it's as you get older you get smarter and and you i i really do i believe that how we look at things in our 40s versus how you looked at them in your 20s is through a different lens mhm mm absolutely yeah but i think the whole sport is is looking at it that way i mean the whole sport is looking at it as like you know 510 is not something you need to worry about once you become like an accomplished climber. And even as a pretty good climber, like, you know, going so then, out to Joshua Tree is like a big deal to climb a 511 out there. I remember trying to climb 
like 5'11s out there. And you're saying now that wouldn't be a big deal? I don't think it is. Uh, see, I would go out there. This is where the competitive part. I'd go out, I'd be, go to Joshua Tree, and I'd barely be able to get up a 5'8", and I'd be really bummed at myself. Back then or now? Now. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, Probably. you'd be able to get up a five eight. Do, I Look don't how know. Fit you are. I don't know. Yeah, but it's not finger. It's not specific fitness. It's yeah. Totally but Joshua different. Tree, you can stand on your feet. No, yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we need to have a reunion. Well, trip out there. That would be fine. If you could I actually find some tried. Time. I tried to go to City of Rocks. Uh, the when I got married last year. That was going to be our honeymoon. We were, we were going to see rocks. We were going rock climbing. I pulled out my haul bags and dumped everything in the basement floor, all my gear. And I was that, that's when I was like, man, my, this is the kind of gear Chris had that I made fun of. Like, this is old climber's gear. But I was also kind of proud. Like, yeah, this stuff is, you know, they still work. Little cans. You're like, right. you know, and lube them up a little bit. And it was actually really cool to go through all that. And the sad part of the story is that we drove all down there. I had got my old guidebook out from City city rocks and like looked up roots and then it rained the whole weekend so we didn't oh. get to go climbing <laughs> but i got so excited about it that that it reminded me that yeah it's there it's waiting for me and then you just put all the stuff back well yeah we just put it away and right. drove home because okay. it was i mean the forecast right. it was just pissing right, down right, right, and right, like right. no way so what i want to ask you though because we were, were we're all over the place is <laughs> is the transition so you did these walls you were a wall climber um and but then like what happened where did it go it was it simply a matter of time commitment to from one thing to the other was there something missing from climbing that you needed that you got out of these other things maybe the competitive like the actual competition where it can be judged at the end of it um because we're we're all super competitive and i mean maybe not all of us i guess it's stupid to say that sort of thing but most climbers are either subtly or overtly competitive, whether it's with their friends or with, you know, what's going on in the climbing world. I mean, that's what drives, but it's a real kind of like, uh, am, or, uh, a real ambiguous type of competition because, you know, it's, you're just have this idea of where you fit into kind of the hierarchy of what's good and what's not good. And, you know, and you have these secret sort of feelings about, well, you know, I can climb this trad and that asshole can't even climb this kind of trad. He's only a sport climber. All that sort of stuff is all in the mix, but never do we ever get to finish, cross a finish line and be like, this time was better than that time or whatever that you get out of competition. Yes and no. I mean, anytime there's a number, there's a grade, there's a judge, we're always going to look at that and compare ourselves, um, whether you're competing in a, a climbing competition or whether you're looking at, you know, how fast somebody did an alpine ascent. And you're like, oh, you know, so-and-so did it in 14 hours and I did it in 18 hours. I mean, it's the human nature to compare. One, to pat yourself on the back, go, oh, that was all right. I did pretty good. Um, so there... There may not be somebody with a gun, a starting gun and like a flag at the end, a banner to go under, but I wouldn't say there isn't a start and a finish line. But to answer your question, and I, I believe that being competitive with ourselves or, or putting a measure on things in a healthy way, I actually do think that that makes us strive to be better. If you didn't have a goal of I want to climb five whatever, or I want to do this one route that I saw you know, on YouTube, that's beautiful. If you don't have anything like that to aspire to, then, I mean, it's kind of what is there, you know, but to, to answer your 
question a while ago about what did climbing not provide for me? Why did I leave? Like what was missing from it? Nothing, absolutely nothing except, um, making a living at doing it. And, and really what happened is while I was managing climbing gym in LA, some of these, um, adventure racing people came in and I didn't know what, what it was, but basically a bunch of people in Lycra and like totally didn't fit into, you know, the baggy shorts and t-shirts and stuff came in like full lycra and said, we want to learn to repel. <laughs> and you know, I, you might've been there at the time. Oh, I was there like, for sure. You want to, well, first I judged them. I looked them up and down and like, you don't fit in here essentially. But I was a manager gym. I'm like, we'll take your money. You want to learn to repel? Okay. You don't want to learn to climb. All right. You know, okay. Repelling lessons are this much right. or whatever. How much are repelling lessons? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Repelling lessons. We'll uh, do those uh, this mount. You're like, Chris, okay, you're on this repelling class. <laughs> but it was this whole group of elite, like the best in the world. I didn't know it at the time. Adventure racers, which is eco challenge and all that stuff, which was really cool sport, um, multi-sport sort of thing. But a lot of them, ha- they had no rope skills and they were always like a tie rolling traverse or some dramatic repel for that looked good on TV. TV. And so these people need to learn some rope skills. And no, I, we, we, I remember being there with Bruce. We were laughing, and we were at just them. like, and, and no, this was actually a little later when it was like your friends coming in. Yeah, and, and they still or, didn't know how to dress. Well, and you were like, you know, this guy's like the best there is. You know, um, I John think, Howard. Yeah, it was John Howard. Crusty old. Yeah, and Kiwi. I was just like, Bruce and I were like, that guy. That guy's the best there is. Like that's the best they got. I mean. <laughs> You know, he was the best and he was the best for a hundred different reasons that were not necessarily apparent in a climbing gym. But yeah, we were being, you know, we were being snarky shitheads, but we were like, yeah, we're just like, all right, well, good luck with your, your thing that you guys are doing. You know, I mean, climbers were the worst, but, um, anyway, anyway, that group of people (laughs) eventually, yeah, they, they essentially invited me a group of them to help start teaching some of their camps because I had the rope skill. So I got some rigging jobs, essentially setting up repels and stuff. And then eventually got invited to be on a team because, uh, the teams were co-ed, they needed a girl and, uh, I could paddle and run and climb. So I could do three out of like the seven things that were required for adventure racing. So uh got put on a team and we won our first race. And what happened from there was not that I wanted to leave climbing. It just doors started opening. And then from winning that race, like, oh, well, you want a trip to Australia to go to the Eco Challenge. And so it really just kind of, it was more my desire to travel and, and experience different things that I, I said yes to, you know, a few early on adventure races, but then it became my job for 10 years. I was actually able to make a living out of it and left recreation. And that's when I moved into my car and kind of made the commitment that, Oh, if I'm going to get to do all these travel things, it probably won't last more than a year or so. So I'm going to move my car so that I can afford, I don't have rent. I can afford to like just bop around and then go on these international trips when they come up. And in that period, which was actually ideal between the adventure races, I was rock climbing and living in Moab and living out of my car and kind of living the ultimate dirtbag lifestyle. Um, and these races would pop up here and there. And then I go climb and then I go get a part-time job in Tahoe or something. And it was really great <laughs> for a while. Um, but then the adventure racing actually started to become uh, a career and I became the team captain and got money for it and, you know, managed the whole team and, kind of one thing led to another and slowly climbing had to take a back seat and 
And then, you know, years later, that led to the transition of into mountain biking, which is all totally unexpected. I mean, honestly, when I left my job at Rock Creation to move into my car, I thought it'd be a year or two. And and then I, you know, sort of go back to having a regular job. But it really did because of climbing, it spawned a whole, you know, 20 years later, adventurous career and lifestyle and and so it's not that I left climbing, it's what climbing gave me. Mm-hmm. And it's what I'll always go back to, like I already said. And you had a sweet van you were living in, right? <laughs> I didn't have a sweet van, but I remember like coveting, you know, you drive up to the crag and you're like, oh God, that's the sweetest van ever. No, I had a 1975 Ford Bronco that wasn't great to sleep in. It wasn't comfortable to drive. You drove it. it in LA on the freeways, it was terrifying. It was a death machine. Yeah, it was terrifying. The lap belt, no no uh, La- chest yeah. belt or whatever the top half of a fucking seat belt is. But the, yeah. <laughs> everything's steel. And I'm sure that stru- oh, that man. steering column didn't collapse. No, it would just go right through you. Yeah, it, it was not safe. I mean, the fact that I survived, survived in, driving you in that truck. never crashed it. No. It's amazing. It is amazing. It I never rolled a, it. It was such a white knuckle on the highway, like on the LA traffic, because mm-hmm. it had you had that little tiny steering wheel. Did you ever replace that steering wheel? No. <laughs> so yeah, this little tiny go kart kind of steering wheel, super oversized tires, and so like if you like barely moved your hand, the thing just like jumped out of the lane. So you'd be like knuckling the and then you, you couldn't change the no, radio station no you couldn't station. you'd like be looking at the radio station like out of the corner of your eye and then you'd like r- let your hand go to like turn the volume you're like no you had to get it back on the steering wheel because you're like dig, 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 all over the lane and like the rumble strip or like the little things in the center line yeah. those would totally pull the car yeah totally like suck it one way or the other yeah do you remember when you and put you on the brakes it would pull really hard yeah, to the right yeah totally <laughs> And then you couldn't turn the, and it was, had, you'd replace the engine with some other engine. And so when you were going like 60 miles an hour and it's all metal inside, like there's no padding that's got the flat metal. Yeah. You couldn't turn your stereo up loud enough to hear it over like the just raging, like (laughs) sound of everything. So you'd be like on these road trips, just like in your own world because you couldn't like have a conversation. It was like white noise, but really loud white noise. For 10 years, you're in that, that yeah, car. I drove that thing for a long... And you know, that that was my master plan. Is like, I had a car that was paid for, even though it was unsafe on the road. <laughs> I didn't have an apartment. I didn't live anywhere. So I, didn't, I had no bill. So I could afford to essentially... I can't believe you never crashed that thing. car. Well, no, I didn't. That's awesome. Thank you. Well done. Yeah, thanks. It's, <laughs> did you ever come sketchy. close? No, probably, you know, in L.A. or high speed, like yeah. slow was really good, like, you know, four-wheel drive truck. Yeah, for sure. But um, fast, no, it was yeah. scary. It was scary. But I got good at it. But yeah, You have it, an Audi wagon, don't you? No, I don't have an Audi. No, I have a Ford Edge. Oh. I, I The Audi, I had an Audi and it was like the worst car ever. And right. that was the next car after right. the Bronco. And just, as, just as like just, turn the knife yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so at least I have a Ford still, but yeah, that that was a total symbol of that, you know, 15 years of my life of of really kind of living living on the road and going where I wanted and kind of building all this. It's probably better that it's gone. It's okay. It's gone, but I was about ready to buy it back. Yeah. You know, when I put the book out, all these people were like, "You got to get the Bronco back." And right. There was actually like a team Well, that, of I was going to say that. It it actually in a lot of ways uh it was like this little ended up being this kind of little marketing tool. Everybody knew it. Yeah, everybody knew it, and it's like it fit this like rad chick, 
you know, it's tough. And you, I mean, you but essentially. I wasn't that red. Oh, God, here we go thought again. I was. It's the start of chapter nine <laughs> in the book. Every single chapter starts that way. <laughs> I was a loser, but I had to try again. <laughs> perseverance. It's not the queen of pain. It's queen of perseverance. But uh, and you, I mean, you more or less like with some help built the thing. So. It was kind of your baby. It was, yeah. I rebuilt. I rebuilt it. I welded the bumper. You know, I, I got my knuckles bloody under that thing, and it was a really cool project for me. It was. I wasn't mechanically inclined before mm-hmm. that. I'd never mm-hmm. changed the oil in my car or anything, and essentially bought that and took it on as a massive project, uh, kind of because of a guy. But I'm really glad I did it, um, and I learned about a lot about tools and power tools and. Hand tools. It's it's a skill that's coming really handy. Yeah, since. I bet. Yeah. Totally. I probably still have scars on my knuckle from the truck, but she's gone. She's yeah. gone now forever. Oh, well. Yeah. Life life has to go on. It does. It's yeah. all right. So um, I wanted to ask you a couple more things about training, actually, and we went off on that personal tangent. You know, the reading in your book and just knowing you all this time, and one of the things that, like, as you got away from climbing – also, that that what is essentially, especially back then, is a really lazy lifestyle. <laughs> I mean, climbing, like climbing bum kind of lifestyle, especially, you know, we were a lot of us wall climbers. I mean, that's like the, the laziest of all climbing sports, I think. Is it? You're moving for like 20, I don't know, 18 hours of every day. Like No, but I mean, I'm ter- in terms of like having to train for it, there's no, it's non-existent. The experience I mean, you can't be, is the training. Yeah, you can't be like a you know, a complete like chubby slob, but, but you don't have to be super fit. I mean, go listen to the aid rant. (laughs) You don't have to be super fit to be like a wall climber in in an athletic sense. And so that was one of the things I think like, you know, your life probably changed. There wasn't like beers and cigarettes around campfires, you know, for days on end and things like that, that we were doing as, uh, as wall climbers. But you've had coaches like, and had, Day after day, week after week, month after month, like scientific training and seeing amazing results from that, you know, in terms of talking, you talking about leading up to each Leadville, how it got like more intense and you, you know, felt the, you felt the gains every single time, like, oh, this is coming together. And then there was the one where you didn't train at all and it, it still came together. Right? Wasn't one of them like that? There's been some... I mean, you didn't train, not train at all, but... There's been some like that, and that's where I I will say, you know, just the sort of durability of wall climbing or, like, living a lifestyle like that. You know, yeah, the beer and the cigarettes aren't that healthy, but just being outside all the time, carrying Mm -hmm. a a pack to the crag, putting a haul bag on, that stuff, like, those are things that make you strong in a way that... I don't think any gym could do or any CrossFit mm-hmm. class or, or whatever. But I, but I will say, yeah, that I, when I got serious about cycling, I had to, I couldn't just sort of rely on natural ability or I couldn't just kind of wing it. Mm-hmm. And, um, especially cause I, I started bike racing at age 38. So it's like, well, I better stack the odds in my favor. So that's where I got coaches and the science behind it's actually really interesting. It actually really does work to train. If you, you know, get a power meter and heart rate and, you know, look at the nutrition of, of what you, how you're going to fuel yourself for an intense, you know, seven and a half hour effort. And I know we've talked a little bit about that in your wall climbing. You got really into goo for a while and like that, 
if you actually don't put garbage into your body, it, it does actually work and it, it produces better results. And so for me, the training was, was an experiment on myself, um, to kind of see where I could go with it. And if I am getting a paycheck from cycling, I better try to actually do my best. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that's the difference. You sit around the campfire with cigarettes and a beer, you know, nobody cares if you get up that route the next day, but when you go have, year to year contracts and you don't might not have a job in the next two months if you don't win a big race then all of a sudden the stakes are higher right. and the game is different and um but it is really interesting to see that you know at 38 47 whatever that you actually can go faster if you are scientific about it and and i actually can train less if it's if it's just more efficient. Well, I wanted to ask you this as a reflection, and um, I don't know how much attention you pay to climbing, uh, the sort of particulars. Just the enormous cast Just the is enormous cast really how much, I yeah. soak it all in well, and out to retailer show. Because um, it seems to me that there's little pockets of, of somewhat intense training, and um, but at the same time, like I don't hear of anybody approaching it with or many people anyway, approaching it with the sort of modicum of, of like intensity and science that, I mean, even just like some of these like hobbyist cyclists do like when we went to that, 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 that thing with Bob roll, Mm -hmm. was that his name? Yeah. In Chicago, it was Mm -hmm. like for some coaching service thing with all these people in Chicago and like those guys, these lawyers, like part timey dudes were approaching this sport with more intensity than, I mean, I even hear some of our top climbers doing mm-hmm. like, you know, you hear about these guys going and training and doing certain things, but it just feels like climbing hasn't quite founded on a big scale. This like way of, you know, and maybe, maybe because it's, it's seen as, you know, like kind of taking a little bit away from the sport to act like that. But I mean, it just feels like maybe we haven't found it yet. And I don't know, like the, the training beta podcast, they, those guys, they take care of this stuff way more. And it's kind of weird for me to even be talking about training. But what do you think about that? Um, it just feels like climbing has a long way to go about training. Yes and no. I mean, you think of people, you know, it's like, I mean, what Mark Twight was probably one of the original guys who was like doing these hardcore workouts and publishing it. And I mean, he has a gym here, I think in Salt Lake city mm-hmm. now. Um, and you know, Steve house has a book out on training for alpinism and those training books have been around for a super long time. I mean, even when we were at the climbing gym in the nineties, like right. those books were coming out of like doing fingerboards and doing all this stuff and doing this many pull-ups and but so, by and large, uh, I mean, you know, of the of the handful of like amazing alpinists that I know, you know, mm-hmm. they don't do any of that stuff. They just go spend time. They go yeah. spend time doing the routes. Right. And that's kind of where I was getting at with you and with me is like I sign up for these bike events and all this long stuff because I would rather be doing that and call it training than sitting in my basement with a power meter and a heart rate you know, monitor on. Um, doing intervals, but the reality of most of our lives is that we can't just always go on three week climbing trips every month and then be one week at home. And so for those people who have jobs and kids and whatever, they have 45 minutes a day, they're going to pack it in, they're going to do an interval session on the bike, or they're going to go boulder in the gym really hard. 
because that's all people can do. And that's in hopes of, you know, call it training, call it climbing, call it whatever you want, but to be your best when you do get to go on the next trip to Spain or you do get to go do something cool, you don't want to feel like crap. You want to feel your best. Right. And I mean, you're right. The The cycling community, um, one, it may be, maybe it's money that a lot of those people are, like you said, doctors, lawyers, they're pretty well off. They're buying $10,000 bicycles. You know, I mean, literally that's what a, a really nice bike costs, uh, $10,000 more than your, your van sitting out there. Um, $10,000 is $8,000 more than my van sitting out there. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> so they have the disposable income. What those people don't have is time. Right. And I bet they wish they were like the climbing community where they had the time to lounge around the campfire and talk about roots and, and shoot the shit. But they don't. They have all these commitments. And so they pack their their fun or they're into like an intense 45 minute session at 6 a.m. before they have to go to work in hopes that, you know, on the weekend they can go do a long ride. And I mean, I think it's because I don't know. It's like maybe the more successful you are in business, you approach your sport that way with this kind of attitude of like, if I do this, I'll get these results and I would say I fall somewhere in between. It's been really interesting to be part of the the training world. And like with Red Bull, they do a performance camp with us where they've done like brain testing. They've done all this kind of like muscle mapping. We're wired up like guinea pigs. And it's actually really, really interesting. Like they can see what our brain is doing when we're maxed out on the bike. And um, they're wiring us for sleep and all this kind of really interesting stuff. What were you doing inside that pod? <laughs> the pod yeah the picture of the pod right. the bod pod right. that's what they call that thing so that was just i mean simply a um a uh, body composition so seeing how much muscle fat oh, hydration okay. like basically seeing what your body composition is but you go in this pod and it displaces the air around you and it's all spaceship looking and yeah it looks like a 1950s like movie crazy like that you're in some like the set of like a 1950s sci-fi movie it is and when the rebel does this stuff like seriously the brain training where we're like playing video games without touching any controls you're just thinking about driving the car what totally it's true it is sci-fi it's totally sci-fi and it's really cool but what i learned from all that the bottom line is that it's really and the stuff you can't measure or create and this is what climbing builds is just sort of the hardcore like just summiting the peak or finishing or getting to the end or getting out after dark like that's the stuff that nobody's been able no training coach no anybody's been able to bottle and like market and sell and build character and like just durability Mm -hmm. and that's what climbing walls with you taught me is just like you just go you just don't give up you just like who's gonna come get you up there like you just finish it Mm -hmm. and I could whine about it or cry about it a little bit. And then you'd just be like, well, yeah. Okay. Great. Let's keep go. going. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep totally. going. And that's what all the science and all the training, all that you can't bottle and you can't train that. You just go do it. So if you return to climbing. When? When you return to climbing, do you have any things that you still have left on your tick list from way back when? Or is there a place you'd want to go back to and try to climb something oh, from man. all these trips? 
I mean, you did a couple races across Patagonia. You done, you've raced. Yeah. Where else have you raced? Borneo, Morocco, Australia, uh, Vietnam. Didn't you go there on a yep. eco challenge or some some yeah. such thing? Yeah. Um, did you guys do many cold ones? Nepal. Nepal. That was cold. That was a really cold one. Yeah. Sweden. That was pretty amazing. Uh, Tasmania, Spain, Italy. I mean, honestly, I've almost been everywhere, which has been really, really cool. And I would say I I would like to go back to Yosemite. Obviously, there's something about that place, and and whether it's it's climb a wall or or just kind of be there. It's I mean, I don't. It's there's something so magical about it, even so historical and. And the time that I spent there, I remember watching your little dot moving when you're soloing stuff. And I was sort of watching you climbing walls and taking pictures and then meeting you, you know, to help carry your stuff down. I mean, there it's so... After the repels. After the repels, yeah. You. He didn't, I didn't carry his shit down. <laughs> hey, is it truly a solo if somebody meets you and carries yeah, you your did. stuff? Did you carry my stuff down on the no, winter one? No, no. I just met you. I think I brought you cookies or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is it a solo a, if some, you had a cookie, if you got cookie support? When I was at the, down in the valley floor? I thought I met you at the top or the repels and gave you cookies. At the top or bottom? I think I met you at the top. Not in the winter one. No? No, because that was super gnar. Okay, at the bottom. Okay, good. At the bottom. I just want my record to stay okay. clean. <laughs> You're clean. You're clean. It was truly a solo. <laughs> but no, I'd go back to Yosemite. I mean, there, that place is really magical, but also... One of my favorite places in the world for sure is Argentina and Chile and the Bariloche area. And I've spent a lot of time there, uh, bike racing, adventure racing and never really climbing yet. Um, but I love the people there. I love the vibe. So I could see going back to South America and climbing. And then I live right near uh city of rocks in Idaho. I live near one of the coolest places to climb, which is pretty awesome. And elephant's perch is something that is also right outside my back door is Alpine rock climbing and, I don't think I'll ever be like a big sport climber or boulder or that kind of thing because of what I want to do. The adventurous sort of pull for me. Right. I don't know. What should we, should we do a, a, a reunion wall? Well, I'll, I'll climb something. What would we do? I've asked you actually to come do finger of fate with me, which is in really? Idaho near me. And, uh, cause you can do the elements for, Oh, perch I thought you were talking and- about, I thought you were talking about in, uh. In the Fisher Towers. No, no. If there's no, I was finger be of like, fate. That'll be a hard sell. No, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've climbed it before. I don't need to go back and climb that one again. There's two routes in Idaho that you can do in a day, and you've got to sort of run between them and link them up. And uh, I, I threw that out there to you once, but you, you didn't bite. I really? Guess. Yeah. Oh, I must have had something else on the yeah on the ticket. You'd have we to climbed t- in the perch together, though. We did. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that might have been one of the last times too. I think so. Yeah. You might have to do all the leading, though, because I suck, remember? Yeah, I know. I yeah. remember. Yeah, okay. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> or well, wait, you said I didn't suck. No, you didn't. Okay, thanks. But who knows now? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine you kind of suck now, at least for a while. Probably. Um, do people still do those, like, hand donut, like, training? I remember driving in my Bronco, yeah. like, squeezing, you yeah. know, the hands. Yeah, the straight. donut's still around, oh, okay. and the little... the. Gripmaster and all that. Okay, business. maybe but I it's have all, to get back on that. That's all those. That's what I'm talking about. Like, and again, there's going to be all these people, and you know, I'm going to ha- have some of these people on the show who are true. They know about training, mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'm going to, people are going to bug me because I said climbers don't know how to train. They're going to be, yes, they do. And you have to come and, and, but I think for most climbers, what passes as training is like kind of a joke, like driving around squeezing the donut, for example. Like, yeah, I've been training. You but know? if you climb enough, if you actually get that out there and do it, then that is training. Right. You know? Well, that's always the running joke is it's just you're training for it. training. Yeah. You're training to train. What are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing a little training. It's like, well, what does that mean? Anyway, um, the the one that I haven't done, and uh, I don't know when it'll ever happen, is I've never climbed the nose. Really? Let's yeah. go do the nose. When did, have you ever climbed it? No. Huh. And actually, Hans Florian that's like, called that's probably, me up. No, he called me shocking, up last year. I'm sure, for people to hear that. It is. Never climbed the nose. I want to do it. And Hans Florian actually called me up. He was doing his 100th. I don't know if he, he did his 100th climb, you know, climb on El Cap this year. And he actually asked me. 100th percent of the nose. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the nose or was it El Cap in general? It has to have been the nose. We'll have to look that one up. But he actually invited, called and asked if I would consider going with him. And I was like, oh, I was so tempted, but I couldn't squeeze it into the schedule. Right. That would have been really sweet. Yeah. I know. Yeah, you could have done it like, you know, and been down in, in the meadow well, like, would, drinking coffee. And it would have been fast. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That would have been a nice way to get it done. Anyway. I know. Could you think you can do it as fast as Hans? No, of course no. not. Okay. Almost no one can. Well, we could take uh, longer. I would like to do it in a that day. That guy though. trains. Does he? I tell you, that guy trains. All right. Absolutely. And that's actually probably the problem, is I just don't know it's all happening. Because you're not doing exactly. it. Exactly. If right. I'm not doing it, nobody is. Yeah. Imagine how rad I'd be if I was training. You would be. <laughs> that's what I learned with cycling. Wow, I'm a lot better if I actually try. <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, I hope you do come back to the fold. I will go climbing with you. Really? For okay. sure. Of it's course. It's documented. Yeah. And actually, our um, many of our routes that we put up in that little brief period there where we... I think it was two different trips because we, we put up those routes at the Sparkswall on Indian Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, classics. Sparkswall is a huge hit now. They're not our routes. I was the belayer. But, you climbed you some know, of them. I did, but yeah. And then the wall. I mean, some yeah. of those routes we put up at the wall are total classics now, too. Is the plaque still there? Oh yeah, the plaques are still there. That's and really the one, cool. um, the one with Nigel's name on it is still there. Oh, that's so cool. That they're fading, you know, but yeah, they're there. They're there. Okay, so. so when we go climbing again, are you going to yell at me, or are you going to like do the silent treatment, or which Chris Calus am I going to get, or is it a different guy now? Uh, are we we're wall climbing? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'll yell at you. The silent treatment is still a big, big. Uh, big tactic okay that's effective yeah, just the, the exasperated yeah not yeah. quite silent yeah <laughs> just enough of a sigh right. that i know yeah yeah it speaks very loudly you know what else is actually a tell on me if i sort of like you breathe in if i seem like no if i seem like i'm in a bad mood but i'm whistling that's a tell it's your fake being yeah happy. it's like i gotta like stop thinking about how mad I am at this person and I'm going to like whistle and pretend to be like all chipper. So anyone who climbs with Chris, if he's whistling, he's fucking And I'll be pissed. like, I'll be like, uh, um, very, no, no, no it's okay. No, no. Um, body language wise, I'll be very deliberately organizing things oh, and yeah. whistling. I've seen, I haven't heard the whistle. I've seen the deliberate organizing and the silent treatment and the inhale. You do the inhale without the exhale. I rem- I'm coming back to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
That'll be fun. Yeah. That'll be really fun. I can't wait. <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, Chris. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed that, coming at climbing at a little bit different angle. Thanks to Rebecca for sitting down. I hope it wasn't too much reminiscing. After a long life in climbing, it's your good partners that you're going to remember, not necessarily each individual climb. Okay, if you want to help out the podcast, I think we're getting some new listeners off the Tommy Caldwell app. Got out there a little bit wider than my normal ones. You can go over to enormacast.com and click on the Help Out tab. A bunch of different easy things to do to support the cast. Write a review, subscribe, donate if you want. It's all there. And also remember to support our sponsors. This thing exists partially because of them, mostly because of you guys. But let them know that you appreciate their support for the podcast. Okay, folks, it is springtime in the Rockies. And that is a lovely time to get out there and climb. I don't know what's going on in your part of the world, but it's spring here. Everybody's excited. I probably won't be climbing that much in the next couple of months. Let's face it. That's okay. It's a lovely trade-off. But if you guys get out there, review your safety if you haven't been climbing all winter. Even if you have, talk to your partner about what needs to be done before you leave the ground. Let's not have one of those tragic, thought you were going to be lowered, wasn't being lowered. Accidents happening out there. Hate those. So unnecessary. So, so unnecessary. Wear your helmets when it's appropriate. Ooh, there's a can of worms. Just opened. You know what I mean. And of course, don't forget to check your knot. Come far, pilgrim. Feels like far. Were it worth the trouble? Huh? What trouble?